0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we are looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm not Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. I am Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. doing a solo episode, a couple solo episodes here, Uh, but don't worry, Matthew will be back. Today we are talking about Minute 34, which begins with a man getting out of a truck. And ends with Jane looking for a little bear who isn't where it should be in the sky. Joining us on the show again, we have Jay Shepard, owner of MCU Location Scout. Happy Thor's Day, Jay. Oh, happy Thor's Day to you, Andy. (laughs) Hey, what of all, you've read Thor, you've watched all the movies. Of everything that you have uh, absorbed related to Thor, what is your favorite Thor moment? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Can you pinpoint? Well,
1: I'm going to separate into kind of comics and movies, because I, I, I got to say, I really enjoy Ragnarok, um, that tonally just hits me where I live. It's, it's both yeah. pulls your heartstrings and it makes you laugh. But from the comics, I still have a very soft spot for Throg, which is when Thor <laughs> was turned into a frog in the late 80s uh, by magic, by comics, you know.
0: Yep, right. Who who we get a cameo of in uh in Loki very briefly. Yep. Yeah. Okay, very cool, very cool. Is it so in Ragnarok is there a particular Thor moment that you love or is it just kind of the whole thing?
1: The buddy buddy stuff between Thor and Loki, I really like seeing the growth there. Um probably the moment on the elevator where they um uh, are going to play get help and no, we're not going to play get help again. I think that's uh I think that's a really fun moment.
0: And then they come out, get help! Yeah, that's great. Again, the comedy. They, they're they great with their mm-hmm. comedic timing in these in the Thor stories. So I really love what they do with those. All right, well, um, we're going to start digging into our minute here in just a minute. But first, take a listen to this. We've taken our show art and we've dropped it on all the merch available over in our store If you would like to wear some Marvel Movie Minute inspired clothing or have a mug or sticker or whatever it may be, you can find it by going to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and clicking on Merch. We are jumping back in where we left off. Uh, In the last minute, we have our townie. Hopping out of his red Dodge D Series pickup truck, and it is no other than J. Michael Straczynski. That is right. We have the uh, the author of the of uh, the Thor Run for quite a while in in uh, in series three, and also the the original screenplay um, or the original story, really, before the screenwriters came on to work on it. And, uh, you know, Babylon 5, if Matthew was here, I know he would be he has a whole diatribe about Babylon 5, which you won't get (laughs) to hear. Maybe we'll do it as a as a member's bonus episode or something. But uh, he is a big fan of Babylon 5 and has a lot to say about that. But um, what's what's your sense of J. Michael Straczynski? Have you read much of, uh, of his line? Are you familiar with his other works?
1: I'm familiar with him from TV, from, from Babylon 5, and I'm sure that I, at some point I have read his work. I, I, I'm sure that at some point, touching on Thor, um, I, I have read one of his uh, issues, though nothing completely stands out to me from any of his comic runs. I really just kind of know him from from his TV work, I guess. Gotcha. And, and, and I would not have recognized him in this part. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, there are so many comic writers and artists that like I see their name and I know what I'm going to get in the comic or I see their art and I know whose art it is. But if you put me down with that person that I am so enamored with, it's like, uh, who's this guy? Who, who, why are we sure. talking to this guy? So uh, <laughs> right. I just don't know what they look like.
0: Yeah. Well, apparently, Walt Simonson had a cameo in Asgard and was at the Coronation and was somewhere close to Sif and Frigga, but... He's
1: sitting at a table. Yeah, I, I think I've seen him in... It's a really quick shot, but yeah, he's okay. sitting at the, at the table, actually, with them, I believe.
0: Okay, interesting. Interesting. What's great about uh, Straczynski and and his run of the Thor comics, and probably why they brought him on to kind of start the story, kind of come up with the the basic story, is because his run really is the one that really kind of they they used for the setting here. And, and granted, in his Thor ends up in in rural Oklahoma. But here it's like we're in rural New Mexico. It it has a very similar sense to it, gotcha. and and so I think that's that's largely why he ended up kind of uh, having such uh, such a role in this particular uh, story.
1: And, and that's good that they're you know when you hear these stories that have been coming out probably more lately than than previous about uh, artists and writers from the comics not getting compensated properly for the use of their characters or their storylines. You know, it's all this kind of contractual BS and stuff that, that shows up. And to be able to have some of those creators honored by, you know, having moments, at least early on in the MCU, getting a chance to show up and cameo in the film. I know this is something that, you know, doesn't really happen much anymore, uh, at, least not, at least not that I can think of. Uh, I think that's a really cool way to honor the the creators and, and their work.
0: Yeah, I know um, uh, I'm going to blank on his name who did... Um, he had created Thanos. He pops up in a. Can-go. Oh, uh, Jim Starlin. Yeah, right. He's in. He's in the um, counseling session at the start of of Endgame.
1: Oh my gosh, you are! Uh, I I don't know how many times I've watched that, and I haven't even realized that was him.
0: It speaks to the whole sense that sometimes you're like, I'm not quite sure what these these people look like. I love reading their work, but yeah, you're not necessarily yeah. sure. Well, and, that and also, is,
1: yeah. I kind of have a sense of Jim Starlin, 1970s style, and I know he looks very different today. <laughs> a little different so. now. A little different
0: yeah. now, yeah. A little more gray around the edges. But So anyway, our townie here uh, has discovered this crash site and decides, oh, I'm going to, you know, stroll down or kind of like you know uh, try not to fall as i run down uh, into the into the base of this uh, impact crater here to see what's at the bottom and i i find it so strange the the way that they have designed this because it really looks like they poured some cement and then set the hammer in it and i i struggle when i look at it cuz i'm like i mean sure maybe Mjolnir hit so hard that it like liquefied the earth and kind of created a cement but as I look at it, I just, I'm just i like, well, they just kind of poured some cement and, and just kind of set the hammer. See,
1: now it. I, I look at it and say, this is a really cool prop that they've set up because, you know, a lot of times film props are not designed in the same way that a real object would be. And so actors oftentimes have to be careful not to break the mystique of whatever it is, you know, whether it's a rubber prop um, or something that's just built differently, you know, inexpensively. And here, you know, you can actually have people, you're right, it, it is like poured in cement, and you can have people <laughs> pulling on it as hard as they want and, sure, you know, and sure. really acting with it. Um, there's, a, there's a great scene, um, I guess, coming up where, you know, you see the, the town, the, the whole group of townies really pulling hard on it.
0: Exactly. Everybody gets their chance to pull on the sword, right? It's all that whole Excalibur out of the, out of the uh, stone sort of thing that they're kind of going for here.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I think maybe it came down and it impacted so hard into a piece of rock, it just embedded itself, <laughs> and all of the d- loose dirt was blown away from around that piece of rock. That's why it's. <laughs> well, that's why
0: it looks that way. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> So my next note is that I I think that we need to start judging for all these people to figure out, is this person worthy? And why isn't this person worthy? Because all of a sudden, now he he's trying to pick up Mjolnir, and he can't budget. So he's clearly not worthy. Uh, he told
1: his wife he was going to the market. And, and
0: instead,
1: he went out to this crater, you know, to see if he could find exactly you know, a piece of gold or a crystal or you know whatever that fell from the heavens and make a quick buck. Because he's got a gambling problem, I would guess as well.
0: That's it. Must be there. Must be some dark story that he has. Maybe he has a body in the back. We don't really get a good view. That is of true. The back. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up So the, um, yeah, the, whole the first off of... I
1: can see it's a uh, they do a little
0: one shot with this. <laughs> Exactly. Where, where was he on his way to? But all, I mean, we're going to find out there's a lot of unworthy people around rural New Mexico here for some peculiar reason. But what I, what I, another interesting element is when he's trying to Pull Mjolnir up. There's this humming sound that we've always kind of heard when when Thor is wielding it, and it's it's the sound that we hear. But it's interesting here because as he grabs it and pulls on it, it kind of rings a little bit, and then as soon as he lets go, it goes away. And that makes me wonder: Are we meant to think that this is something that they're hearing too, or is it just for the audience, like the sense of magic of holding Mjolnir?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. Um, It's hard to tell if it's actually like dietetic uh music or not uh for the or sound effect for this i i, I kind of feel that it's maybe like a resonance thing i guess it, i like asking me right now i would say yeah probably these people hear it you know it's like when you know there's a vibration in something and you don't really notice it until you know you set like a glass down and it vibrates or you know you grab something and it kind of you know makes your fillings hum or something like that so maybe maybe that's kind of what it is is that his the physical contact um is creating this and that's because of you know the vibrational frequency of the magical properties of this hammer
0: the uru stone it's an interesting thing but and obviously it's a cinematic thing i mean we always hear swords like ringing i mean crouching tiger hidden dragon has just some fantastic sounds that seem to be coming from the uh from the the sword that they use mm-hmm. in that particular film um but my understanding is like if you're if when you like pull a sword out of a sheath it should be completely silent it shouldn't be making that scraping for, sound for obvious reasons yeah yeah exactly but same same and, kind of
1: thing with um uh, you know, that the eighties have kind of given us with the uh, firearms, you know, where the guns just make these obscenely loud click clack noises and, you know, all the shells flying out. And it, it's just, if it, if something's making that much noise, it's, I don't think that the me- mechanism is probably working properly, right? Cause it, it should <laughs> yeah. be a lot smoother. There shouldn't be that much contact with all no, the, right. those moving parts. So uh, again, like you said, cinematic, it, heightens cinema is about heightened realism
0: and i think that's kind of
1: what they're obviously trying to show here and if it's otherworldly as well exactly exactly
0: well uh we leave our townie here with a huh which is a great little moment (laughs)
1: <laughs> so subtle it's it's well played too yeah
0: it is it works really well uh and now we jump and we're over in puente antiguo we see uh we're again brana and his dutch angles we got a great dutch angle shot here we're looking at the the sign uh the city limits sign basically giving us the population and elevation of the town and i just want to go through those because population 2175 I really question that. This is very much what I see as a three-digit population sort of town.
1: Well, it depends on is it an incorporated town or does it include, like, the ranchers, you know, several miles out? Yeah,
0: yeah. But that's a lot of ranchers, though. Yeah. It just seems like, okay, because, well, the elevation, 6,056. Now, fittingly, they use the elevation of Galisteo, which is, as you pointed out last time, it's it's pretty much the nearest town to the movie set that we're mm-hmm. on in yeah. this particular case. And so they use the same elevation. Sure, I get it. But just, just as comparison, Galisteo has a town, a, a population, as of the 2010 census, of 253 people. Oh, my goodness. And, and so that, yeah, it's just like, I mean, when I see this little tiny town, I'm like 2,000, over 2,000 people live here?
1: Yeah, that's like a factor of 10 or <laughs> yeah, 9. Yeah.
0: That is a lot of people.
1: You know, and again, it's a super quick shot. How many people get that in their first viewing? But I, I guess if if I were making a film and I were putting Easter egg kind of things in it, I would want them to be... I guess, realistic, because I know there will be people, hopefully, that would pause and, you know, scrutinize minutes of your film. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, why would they do that? Um, Because, you know, maybe to make it seem like it's a little more populated just to when you can talk about the destroyer coming later, you know, okay, there's that many more people at risk potentially for this area. Yeah, maybe. Uh,
0: but but it's not like Jane came here for living, right? She came here right. very specifically to study. So uh, so I guess it didn't, you know, to her sense, to the sense of her side of the story, it didn't matter how big the town like it was. If it was 253, that would have been fine. Right.
1: It's location okay. only.
0: Yeah, exactly. But to your point, I mean, that maybe that is it. Like, they wanted to make it seem like the destroyer is potentially going to be Killing a lot more people, and or so, or do
1: people really not know how big small towns or how small small towns are?
0: You know, yeah, what I mean, right. Like, did the prop people just accidentally put on, or, or that really the production design people did they accidentally put on an extra digit when they were kind of having yeah. the sign put together? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know.
1: It, it, you're right, though. Like now that we are scrutinizing and focusing on this, uh, I would say it's it's probably fifty percent too big, just given <laughs> yeah. like you really don't even see that many people.
0: Um, no. out exactly so. yeah it 's a very small town, and then the other thing, and this is again tying tying many properties together, but the fact that when we looked at the one shot in our uh, hiatus episode where we we you know we talked about a funny thing happened on the way to thor 's mm. hammer, love that and one. and agent Colson is driving here. And when he passes the mileage sign, when you look at the mileage, and again, this is we talked about this in way too much length then, <laughs> but when you look at the mileage from where he is to to Gallup, New Mexico, to Albuquerque, to Puente Antiguo, it is nowhere near Galisteo. Like it's probably closer to Roswell or Truth and Consequences, somewhere in that area, rather than as close to uh, Santa Fe as it is, and so it is I, I don't know so the elevation also doesn't make a lot of sense because if it were in those directions it's a much lower elevation so again yeah. it's just one of those little things that obviously
1: right and truth or consequences are, you know what that's probably like a 500 population town as well i would exactly guess. it's, it's yeah. pretty small i know um actually have a, a in-law a distant in-law that lives there
0: oh okay it's it's uh one of those places that has just such a great town name. I've always loved it oh, just yeah. because of the name. <laughs> yeah, T or C. When when we were talking about the one shot, we liked we said, you know what, we like to think of it as Roswell. Like we like to think that they, they clocked the mileage to Roswell because it seems like the sort of place that would have had this sort of thing happen, you know, I with agree. the whole yeah. things from the sky. Um but obviously the people working on Thor weren't of that same mindset when they were putting it together, so uh, You know, it is what it is.
1: Right, right. Yeah, A lot of decisions, you know, have to get made. And sometimes, you know, there's not always one person in charge of that. It's all with all the departments. So, you know, yeah, nobody nobody cared enough to make that important because it wasn't in the script or yeah. it just didn't need to happen for any reason. So somebody just had to make a choice.
0: Exactly. They make the choice. And little do they know that 10 years later, somebody would be analyzing it and scrutinizing it one minute at a time, <laughs> right. breaking it down. Well, okay. So, so now we're in the town proper. This is really where we get to actually start exploring this town. And I would love, I mean, you know, you've kind of done your exploration of all these different locations and this is a very specific Western town set that we happen to be on. Can you tell us a little bit about this particular location?
1: Yeah. So this, as you mentioned, it is a movie ranch In it's, it's technically within Galisteo's limits, I guess. It's called the Cook movie ranch, also called Cerro Palon. And, um, it's been used for a number of Western towns for movies. I think Silverado uh, was yep. one of the films that was shot there. Um, what's interesting is that, at being a, a movie ranch, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of what it sounds like. It's it's a back lot set, but usually without any kind of uh, uh, soundstage setup. It's uh, it's a fully outdoor set where they build. B- Buildings, Whether or not those buildings have interiors, you know, they may just be facades, uh, like you would see on the back lot of, you know, Universal Studios or, or Warner Brothers or something like that. And um, so for Thor, they actually took down they 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 kept i guess maybe some of the bare bones of the buildings uh and the kind of the orientation of the town like the streets are the still the streets but they paved the streets because it's normally just a dirt western set and they built all these buildings you know put up the signage so it's like you know a real 7-eleven sign and um you know all the other little buildings and stuff there and then they made that distinctive smith building which I assume is some kind of car ex car dealership. Smith
0: Motors, yep.
1: Yeah. Uh where where Jane has everything set up. It's a it's a beautiful location. I mean, the fact that, you know, this looks like a real town, but it is, you know, population zero really <laughs> <laughs> right, when it comes exactly. down to it. Um but they've got that great location with the star on top, which uh, speaks to some, you know, some of the themes from the movie and allows the characters to sit on the roof. And you also get an overview of the uh, kind of, of the town and the space, um, plus allowing for all of the third act destruction that they need to do in this location as well. So it's, uh,
0: pretty cool. It's a great little, uh, Western town set. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Silverado, um, Interestingly, Kenneth Branagh, when he worked on Wild Wild West, they filmed some of that movie in this particular western town. Oh, look at that. And uh, 310 to Yuma was a more recent one that they filmed some of it here. Now, interestingly, Tom Ford actually bought this location and had been, you know, I think in 2001, he it had been in use for quite a long time. And then I guess in 2016, he actually put it on the market trying to sell it for $75 From what I could find, as of 2019, he still hadn't sold it. The price at the time was $48 million. So, you know, if you've got some spare change and you're looking to, uh, to take on a, a movie set of your own, there you go. Uh, reach out to them and maybe you can uh, pick this one up. Well,
1: you know, Westerns are not doing what they used to do. So unless you can do like maybe a zombie Western, uh, that is a, a genre that has been untapped in the uh, That's right. current horror somebody, market, I think.
0: Somebody needs to get on that. Yeah. Um, well, well, in New Mexico, I mean, it's, it's busy, full of all sorts of productions. So you'd think that they could find another way to use it. And, but it's interesting because so rarely do you hear of a project like this adapting it and turning it into a modern town in right. a location. And that's what I found so interesting about it. I, I, so I struggle with it because I'm like, well, it's like, who comes to this place? Especially when 2,000 people are living here. Like, I, I struggle. Like, see, when I see the town, I'm like, there's really no way in or out. Is, but it's always busy. And I, I I kind of, my mental thing doesn't say it's not a real town.
1: Right. And they've got, like, you know, big name franchises. I mean, yeah, 7 like Right there. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, if anything, it should be a, um, a what's the, the. Traveling J, like the the one that's oh, always by the side of the interstate the, when you're flying J, yeah. Flying J, flying J, right. That's what it should be. Um but what was interesting, and this was something that Brana really intentionally kind of wanted with this town, is that it's kind of almost a mirror, in fact, kind of a a a much lower, uh lower re- lower end version of what we had in Asgard, right? We had the beautiful palace right in the center, the Valesgalf Palace, right there in the middle with the rainbow bridge running out of town. And here we have Puente Antiguo, old bridge. This is kind of the older version of, of Asgard. And we've got this road kind of coming right into town and just going to this quote palace right in the in the middle which is that that smith motors with the big star on top and so it was a very intentional design that they had here to kind of create mm-hmm. that mirror and i think that that's actually an aspect i really like about it well and that's what's so great about you know
1: when you have the ability in a film to kind of do what you can um and build it from scratch in terms of uh, production design you know you don't have to find a real location that well it'll kind of do what we want to do but it's not going to be as uh obvious i guess um yeah. whereas you know like you're you're talking about here the the parallels are much more overt Uh, and and setting this up. And, you know, they had the ability to, you know, they could have reoriented the town so that the sun was, you know, setting at the end of Main Street if they wanted to, you know, all all those kind of decisions (laughs) that... Right, absolutely. ...you would never make in terms of, like, building a real town, probably, not building a real town. Uh, But for film sets, like, you want to have the sun in a specific location if you're going to be shooting outdoors because you want to have, you know, everything lit in the way by the sun as much as you could uh you know to have it look as best uh on film because that's exactly your end product so yeah that's pretty cool
0: yeah um and as you said i mean we have the 7-eleven we see a newsstand a liquor store um we're gonna see some of the other locations we have that great old the smith motors with the giant star and then there's an interesting billboard um advertising land of enchantment journey into mystery right over the newsstand which um which I kind of love because it's a great nod to the origins of Thor, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, so it's the New Mexico slogan or the, yep. the state Land of Enchantment slo- slogan, Land of Enchantment. And then uh, Journey into Mystery, I think number 83 was the first appearance of Thor. And uh, so that's where he got his start for, I don't know, 30, 40 issues. And then at some point they decided, well, he was the star of this, What was previously a uh, science fiction fantasy title that uh, was being published prior to Marvel doing superheroes. And they uh, revamped it and then turned it into the mighty Thor. So when you talk about Thor, like number 300, it's really not because you have to subtract all those issues that Thor wasn't actually in because they just kind of continued numbering. But that's some weird esoteric comic thing.
0: It's it's so when they start them in like these different because Iron Man started the same way, you know, they start in different comic series almost to just test them out and see how they how they work before they get their own line. So, yeah, it's an yeah. interesting way that they've kind of decided to do that. But hey, it works for them. So, um, but the other funny thing about that billboard is that, and apparently it's just because the shot is so short, they didn't really worry about it, but they Greeked out, which is when they cover it up uh, for a film, they cover up other information that had been on the billboard before they modified it. And they didn't put anything in place of it. So you could actually see in the, in the top left corner of the billboard a blacked out uh, section where they blacked out some letters and clearly a phone number that started with 800. That because um, you see the parentheses 80, and then you don't see the rest of it, it's all blacked out. Who knows what it was? Um, It may have even been done digitally. Like they might have accidentally left it in there or they might have purposely left it in there thinking, you know what, it's let's just put this in there and then realize, oh, you know, we don't have any permission for that. And they had to.
1: I thought it was one of those things potentially where it either had been vandalized or maybe they were, you know, it was like starting to get changed out
0: to another billboard. Um, Oh, so intentionally left this way as if it's there's a story behind it.
1: Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, it it does look like it's redacted, but it's also in a place where if someone were vandalizing it now, it's not you couldn't climb up to there. But if you had gotten on the roof and kind of, you know, come over the top, uh, maybe there had been some graffiti or something. And then they were covering it up by just putting black bars there or something.
0: Well, if there's one thing that I am always impressed with people who uh, decide to do the do vandalized buildings and stuff, they get to some crazy places. And so I wouldn't put it past them to hang off the side of the building. Exactly. Because if if (laughs) you
1: can't get there, you know, if you put your tag in a place where other people can't get to, you know, that's you get top credit. So
0: exactly right. Uh, So, all right. So we get now finally to get a sense of not only the town, but we're seeing where Jane and Eric and Darcy are working. And it's inside, as we'll come to find out, this, this vacant car dealership, Smith Motors, at the very end of the street. And um, we see them busy working. Before we start talking about them working, I do just have to point out that through the door behind Jane, as soon as we kind of cut to this, we see another building next door, which um, I I guess I'll have to look later to figure out where this building is. I think it's probably on the, as you're facing the building, it's on the building's right. But through the window in there, you can see a hammock and somebody laying down in the hammock. Oh, really? It was about 30, 31 seconds in. And I have to think that this was actually like a crew, uh, a, a building where the crew was hanging out and a place to just kind of relax, take five or whatever, and that it's just a crew person who happens to be in the hammock laying down over there, which That's I think funny. is really yeah. funny. I,
1: yeah, but I, it kind of works uh, yeah. in, this, in this town, right? It's not uh, so high-tech that you wouldn't think that there might why would there be a hammock there? Because it kind of makes sense in this location.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's it's not anything that I worry too much about. And they probably said, "Should we cover that up?" Eh. No, it's fine. We'll just you know somebody sleeping in a hammock in the next building. Yeah, it's nothing. Nothing to spend <laughs> money, spend our precious uh, CG money covering up. So right. Uh, So we get into this conversation now, and this is kind of an interesting moment because we're getting into a little more exposition about what they're thinking. And and at this point, Jane and Eric start saying, "You know, it's it's it looks like it could be an Einstein-Rosen bridge." And then Darcy steps in as our audience surrogate, who (laughs) is great. I mean, she's just like, "What's that?" And I don't know. The conversation between her and Eric. Is, is very funny because, and the whole thing about how she was a poli-sci major. She's not actually a, a science major. It's poli-sci. <laughs> yeah. She was the only applicant. Like that whole bit. I don't know. It's it, it, Again, it speaks to Darcy and it makes her work so well in this context as our audience surrogate to get a sense as to what a wormhole is.
1: And, and the fact that Jane, like, she only had one applicant, and you know, and then when you get to the second film, Darcy now has taken on a uh, an intern, and <laughs> right. it's just
0: nobody wants to work with these people, really. It's it's very comical, very funny, but this is where we start learning about wormholes and, uh, and Einstein Rosen bridge and Urms, uh, a wormhole. Uh, Albert Einstein and Nathan Rosen in 1935 they came up with this idea using the theory of relativity. And the whole idea was bridges through space time. And it's a a wormhole basically can, could theoretically still not proven transport an object from two different points without any time or distance involved. It basically just moves from one place to the other. Um, And this, I, you know, I just have to read this because this is the more precise way to describe it. It is a transcendental bijection of the space-time continuum, an asymptomatic projection of the Kalabi-Yau manifold manifesting itself in anti Sitter space.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> wow. This moment here brings up something that I get into debates with other friends. So um, I, I, I write this article series called Sci-Fi Saturdays, which happens to show up on Saturdays, but also because it feels like Sci-fi films are kind of, you know, like a Saturday matinee sort of staple, at least from the early days. Yeah. And as I collect my data about what movies I want to do, I'm like, do I do superhero films? Are superhero films sci-fi films? <laughs> or are superhero films superhero films that have sci-fi elements yeah. or horror elements, you know? So I think I am of the opinion that superhero films are their own genre, basically – but you know, films like parts of Thor here, or Ant Man, or um, I, I don't know, you Iron, know, the, Iron Man, Iron yeah, Man Iron has... Man are sci-fi uh, style stories. They have high scientific elements in them, um, but there's also plenty of you know, fantasy and rom-com oh, sure. and all sorts of other stuff that are in here. But I, I like that they really get into. They're not making up comic uh, science stuff here. They're using, like, real science theories for the people out there that have heard of or might know what an Einstein-Rosen bridge is, and uh, it it works for this. It's, you know, okay, well, that's a good scientific way to look at this, you know, and from the Earth, we're looking at things as science or magic, but, you know, we get told later it's all just advanced science, but they don't even <laughs> right, necessarily right.
0: know how that how it works. So I know well, and and then some of it is like Loki is still using magic. I mean, are we calling that some other form of science? Uh, it's right, it gets and, to and a all point the Doctor Strange stuff that pops up. Uh, well, and, that it, well, that's definitely just the magic, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, And they're mentioning stuff like, you know, they're saying the lensing around the edges, like likely referring to like gravitational lensing. So I feel like when the screenwriters were putting this together, they were actually talking to scientists and trying to come up with something that sounded like mm-hmm. if we saw a real wormhole appear, what would it look like? And they're probably getting some of this, this verbiage from those people would be my yeah. guess.
1: Well, and, and I like the fact that, you know, Jane latches on to, uh, you know, maybe we believe it maybe we don't eric doesn't necessarily seem convinced and she's like yeah but look at these stars these aren't our stars like right this yeah. one section of the photo like these are all our stars around the outside and but in the middle we're looking at a different part of the galaxy somewhere it, it's it's a good cinematic way to look at it because it's yet something else that is relatively easy to say in terms of uh, uh, the dialogue so that the audience can go, oh, okay, well, I see that this character understands, you know, something about this. Uh, maybe I don't, but, you know, that it's uh, showing that she knows what she's talking about and having this other character agree with her. Um, but it's also, again, something that would really be there. It's not just some sort of fake Hollywood babble, you know, like a Star Trek thing.
0: Yeah, and then when she says things like, unless Ursa Minor took the day off, I mean, that sounds like something, you know, she's being cheeky, but also she's pulling a reference for uh for an actual constellation, uh, Ursa Minor, that theoretically would be in the sky, as she says, in the star alignment for our quadrant this time of year. So right. theoretically, it sounds very much like the, it makes sense what she's saying.
1: Right, right. And and even analyzing it, it still sounds like she, she makes sense, because sometimes there's stuff where you break it. It sounds plausible when you watch the movie and then you start to break it down and it kind of loses meaning but right. there's still there's still something here when she's talking yeah. about the little dipper
0: yeah, yeah exactly exactly so well, um, is there anything else uh, that you caught that you wanted to talk about in this particular minute? Or I mean, we're kind of we kind of in the middle of she's leaving us leaving us hanging about right the this middle of this sentence, whole thing. I know. whole thing with Ursa Minor.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was pretty much it. Uh, like four big beats here, I think uh, was uh, covered yeah. everything that I wanted to talk about.
0: Awesome. Well, um, Jay, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what you have to offer and where people can find you as far as as, like your sites, your podcasts, uh, where should people go learn more about what you're up to?
1: Uh, you got two main places, uh, mculocationscout.com. Uh, if you want to keep up with the filming locations of the different movies and Disney plus shows and one shots, I'm not, I'm not doing the cartoons, uh, with like what if (laughs) or anything like that. Um, And uh, I do have some stuff up from uh, Shang-Chi and uh, hopefully we'll put up a little bit more once uh, that's available on um, a a way that I can get some screenshots uh, because it's kind of useless to talk about a location and not have any visual uh, footage there to to share with folks um so that's up uh you can also go to retrozap.com where i have my uh, my podcasts and my articles posted uh as i mentioned i'm doing sci-fi saturdays uh in october i also uh every year or at least the last three or four years i've been doing 31 days of horror where i actually write a review about a different horror film every day it's quite quite a big challenge awesome. there Fun. Um, but I've got podcasts uh, about superheroes. Superhero Suite is the show that I do with my friend Josh, where we talk about all things superheroes. We also do a after show for The Flash called Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast. And then we also have a uh, show about uh, finding the fun in everything called Enjoy Stuff, where we discuss different pop culture things from the 70s or even before up through today talk about movies tv uh music all sorts of really cool fun stuff there
0: so cool so many places to track you down and uh, check out all the amazing work you're up to so that's awesome yeah well uh that's it for today's show uh we'll be back one more time with jay tomorrow to talk about minute 35 so for now thank you all for all the support you do and as matthew would say have a good day and as i would say